0: Well, in the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome each and everyone to our service of worship and celebration. Uh, but just before we begin, there's always a few family matters to look after, right? Because we, we like to say here at Stanley Park that family really does matter here. First, let me say welcome if you are visiting with us for the first time or perhaps the second or third time, but you know you're still new to us. uh, We want you to feel very much at home in our midst and know that you are very welcome to worship Him to be here with us. If you would just take a minute to fill out one of those welcome cards that are in the pews in front of you and drop it out. Well, just give it to me afterwards or to one of the deacons or greeters and they'll see we get them. We just like to have a record of those who might be visiting with us. Well, Family Day weekend is finally here and it's a great weekend for us here at the church Uh, Maybe you've smelled something different when you walked into the building. It sure smells good. And uh, following our service, we have uh, a pancake and sausage breakfast for lunch, okay? So uh, we're having a breakfast-styled lunch, and everybody's invited. The tables are set up. The people have been working hard to make all the pancakes and sausages. Please come and stay and enjoy some time and fellowship with other other members of the family of christ also you may have noticed that there are a few tables with some weird covers on them over there in the corner corner of the foyer Well, those covers will be gone after the service. And whatever is on those tables, you are more than welcome to take home. Just don't bring them back, okay? Uh, They're yours to keep. Uh, We have some books and things that we want to move on. And we need to move them. What is is left over will be going to the Christian Salvage Mission or to one of the thrift stores. But it's our giveaway sale. So the best way to have a sale is to give it away. And with that, I'm going to ask Ryan if he will come quickly and make one short announcement.
1: Thank you, Pastor Paul. I just wanted to point out that we do have Grey Matters this Tuesday at 7 p.m. in the church parlor. We are very fortunate to have Pastor Ike coming to give us a talk. Yeah, he's giving a shout-out in the corner there. Uh, The topic for this conversation will be... Uh, prophecy and the importance of prophecy and also how to prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus Christ. So if you are available, we encourage you to come out 7 p.m. this coming
0: Tuesday and we will meet in the church parlor. So enter on the office side. Thank you so much. And just one quick final announcement. The 2023 tax receipts are now available. And if you can see Laura Poulter after church, she's waving her hand over there in the corner. Uh, you can probably pick yours up if you haven't already. And that just saves it from going through the mail. So please uh, just see her afterwards. Those are all the announcements after the service. Please take the time. And let's have some, uh, some good fellowship this afternoon as we enjoy uh, one another. I'll turn
2: well, good morning, Church. Good morning. Happy uh, Family Day weekend. It's hard to believe it's here already. I think we keep saying that a lot, but um, it was interesting this week because uh, my son reminded me. It's it's funny where you get inspiration from, and he he was just reminding me that uh, some of his buddies and he are, are all brothers in Christ. And uh, you know, for this Family Day weekend, I think you know, yes, we have flesh and blood, but we also have our spiritual brothers and sisters here. And we just we do hope and pray that that's your experience here. That we're not just people sitting in pews, but God that God is using us to be a family, um, bringing us together. So, um, as we prepare for this morning, uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, please just join with me as we pray, Father God. We thank you for today and the gift that it is, and um, we thank you for this place where we can come freely. God, we can bring our our praise and honor. Our adoration to you, um, God, to thank you for all that you've been doing in our lives. God, we thank you that you've saved us, that, God, you've redeemed us in spite of ourselves, that, God, we know there's nothing we can do to earn it. But, God, you gave the gift of, of life so freely through this your son, Jesus. And, um, God, we thank you, too, for this family you've given us here at Stanley Park, that, God, you've brought us together together. Um, in this time for this purpose. Um, God, help us not just to be sitting down and waiting for things to happen, but God, to be your church uh, ready and willing and active to do your will today. Um, God, we also know that this this week has had its share of, of trials and joys. God, probably places that we've fallen, that we've tripped up. Um, and God, we do pray for you to break those chains. God, things that are distracting us, things that are entangling us, things that are keeping us down and that, God, we can just cast our cares to you, that we can leave them at the foot of the cross and know that you and you alone um, can save us because you already have. And... Um Father, today, we just pray that you would help us, again, just to be united in heart and spirit, that God, we would just bring your, your praises, that uh, we would be uh, challenged and renewed today, and God, we thank you, too, that we can break bread together or break pancakes together uh, in a little bit, that God, we're just uh, so excited just to have fellowship and to be with each other, um, so we just pray for that time as well, and we thank you for all these things in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, We'll ask if you're able to uh, stand with us as we sing. in your life. Time I'm going to do two things. I'm going to pray for their, our kids as they go off to their class, and I'm also going to uh, commit the offering to our Lord. Uh, please join with me again as we pray. Father God, we thank you. Um, Lord, we thank you for the amazing gift of these kids. Oh, God, we just pray that you help them as they learn and as they grow. Um, God, we know that lots of stuff's not easy, um, but God, we just thank you that you're faithful. And we just pray that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're with them and that God, um, their church family is with them as well. Um, God, help us to support those families with young kids, uh, just knowing that they face lots of trials and lots of things that many of us didn't face as kids either. So we just pray for their leaders, that you give them wisdom as they lead. And we just pray for these kids in their hearts and their minds that they can be ready and willing and able to receive your message specifically for them today. And too, Lord, we um, want to commit this offering to you. Um, God, whether it feels like much or little, God, we just think about um, the woman who gave the small coin and just how she eagerly wanted to do um, the right thing. Because we know, God, when, when you've given us so much, Uh, even if it doesn't feel like a lot, that, God, we have food, and we have um, clothes on our back, and we have a church family, and there's so much to be thankful for in a world that's often not thankful at all. Um, So, God, just this small portion that we give back to you, God, uh, we just pray that you would um, just be just so blessed by it, but, God, that you would take it and multiply it and use it for your kingdom here on earth. And we thank you for all these things in your name we pray. Amen. All right, kids, you're dismissed. Your leaders are at the back. Have a great class.
0: with me in prayer. Indeed, our Father, what a glorious gift of grace you have blessed us with. For in Jesus, we not only have redemption, not only are we saved from our sins, but we have been given everything that we will ever need or even more than we could ever imagine or fathom to live this life. You have blessed us with it. Indeed, there is no more for heaven now to give. For we are filled, filled with the incredible joy of Jesus. We are gifted with his pure and holy righteousness. Even as our sins, and there are many, are forgiven and separated from us. And in the midst of turmoil and heartache and the messiness of life, Not only does Jesus give us that joy, but also he is our incredible source of peace. Just as he is our steadfast and complete love, only Jesus, there truly is no other. Only Jesus, so we bow in his holy presence. Worship with joy, rejoice with truly grateful hearts. Praising the almighty creator, God, sovereign of the universe, for giving us the incredible gift of Jesus, the Son of God, who humbled himself for our sakes, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Praise the name of Jesus. Loving Father, We know that the way that we live our lives so often falls so short of your goodness, your holiness, your kindness. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us when we are self-centered and think more of ourselves than others. Forgive us when we say things that hurt and discourage rather than those things that would encourage and lift up and build and strengthen. Forgive us when we harbor thoughts in the recesses of our minds that have no place there. for you have declared us to be holy, even as you are holy. You have forgiven us our sins and cleansed us from all our iniquities, and yet, yet we still entertain thoughts that have no place within the holy temples you have paid so dearly for. Forgive us, O God. Forgive us as we come, as we confess. Cleanse us afresh. Help us to live in the ways that you would have us go. Help us to stand firm against the tempter and to utilize the weapons you've provided for us through your Holy Spirit. And may we be at peace with you always in the things we say, the things we do, and yes, even in the things we think. Father God, no one knows better than you just how needy of a people we are. There's not a person joining us online nor seated in this auditorium that does not have some need that only you can fill. You are the almighty Jehovah God, and we all need to experience your love and your power, your strength, your grace, your mercy, always in a new and fresh way. Meet us wherever we are at in our lives. And may we know the fullness of your spirit upon and in us as you minister to our needs. There are those amongst us who have ongoing physical needs, and we pray for them. We pray for Lee, who underwent heart surgery this past week, for Doug at Freeport, for his wife Anne, who's confined to her home, for Janice and Paul, for Leo and Alice and Dick and Andrew and Ken and Murray and... Matthew, Nancy, and Harvey, for all who need to know your healing hand upon them, meet them at those places, touch them, heal, restore, and may they know the blessing of your presence with them, even as they refresh themselves in the salvation you give. We know that we pray for those who have recently experienced loss, And we ask that in those moments when grief seems to be too much, that you would be the one who wipes the tears, comforts the sorrow. Bless each heart with your gentle love. We pray for those who are simply getting older, having to learn to live with bodies that are aging and with the limitations and and sometimes the many indignities that often accompanies this stage of life's experience. Help us to be strong when we are weak. Help us to be gracious when we can't do what we once did. Touch us afresh with your love. Meet us at our broken places. Restore our damaged emotions. Heal the wounds that we live with, even as you would release us from the things that hold us hostage, that keep us from experiencing your fullness. We thank you for this church that you have brought us to. And we pray for our church. We thank you for each other's brothers and sisters. And we pray for those who work so hard to make things happen as smoothly as they do. We pray for each other, for the goodness of being a family of believers on this Family Day weekend. We celebrate what you have done here, even as you have brought us together. We pray for those who give of their time and their talents to lead us to wrestle with the difficult things that come up from time to time and who just simply help us to experience you afresh. And now, dear Lord, as we gather around your word, may we be attentive to the leading of your spirit as you would remind us afresh of the greatness of the faith that you have blessed us with as your spirit leads us into a glorious hope that is ours through the living Lord Jesus Christ in whose strong, powerful, and most beautiful name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Oh. Wow, it's uh it's good to be here together. Family day weekend, pancake Sunday. That's amazing. Can you smell it? I can kind of smell it. Um, No. It's going to be good. It's going to be so good. Uh, we got an an amazing team who's been working so hard. You know how much planning and time goes into planning a pancake breakfast for like 150 people? A lot. And uh, they've been working so hard at this. So we're so grateful for them. And we are looking forward to uh, some pancakes and syrup. Now, syrup's limited. So... Some people, like, they, they literally baptize their pancakes. Uh, we might not be able to do that today unless the Lord provides a miracle and just the, the syrup just keeps flowing after we're out. But bottom line is we're looking forward to that time. Everyone is invited to join us uh, following the service today. Uh, so plan to attend. We'll just head into the gym and enjoy a pancake breakfast together. Um, <clears throat> uh, today, I want to... I want to start by um, sharing with you uh, a little exercise I, I did this week. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Google, but I, like probably most of you, Google things. I do that from time to time. And this week I, I Googled uh, Christian missions, um, looking, looking at the idea of, of missions strategies terms of sharing the gospel, and, and it's amazing, uh, just with a, a quick Google search like that, what comes up. I was struck by the number of, of websites, podcasts, articles uh, published uh, with proven missions strategies, kind of boasting these, these different ways of, of thinking about missions, and, and these strategies that have been proven to work. And they've got the numbers to back it up, numbers of people who have heard the good news of Jesus and, and been saved and baptized, and uh, it's, it's really interesting. You kind of go down this rabbit trail, as you do on Google. You kind of go from one site to the next, and uh, I, I just found it quite striking. Now, I think it's important. I want to talk about that idea of mission today, or missions. And it's a word that we throw around a lot in the church. It's an important word for us as Christians. The word mission comes from the Latin verb missio, which means to send. That's what missions is about, sending. So literally missions means sending out. And it's a very important word, of course, in the Bible. As followers of Jesus, we have been given a mission. A mission started by God by the way, who is the first missionary? Jesus. Amen. That's, that's where this mission began. And Jesus explained his mission this way. He said to his disciples, God so loved the world, actually to Nicodemus, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, pointing to himself, shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's the word. For God did not send his son, missions, into the world to condemn the world. That's not what he did. He sent him to save the world through him. Jesus was the first and ultimate missionary sent by God on a mission to save mankind from sin. And later in John, Jesus prays this amazing high priestly prayer in John 17. He prays for his disciples. And he says this, praying to God the Father. He said, Father, as you sent me, mission, right, sent me into the world, I have sent them, his followers, his disciples, the church into the world. That right there is is really the, the basis for the mission of the church. God sent Jesus to save the world. Christ sends his disciples, the church, into the world to tell them that God save the world, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's our mission, to share that good news with this world, to go and baptize people as Jesus commissioned his disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded them with the promise that surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's what missions is all about. I'm convicted, and I believe that missions, anything sort of done in the name of Christian missions, it it has to be tied to the gospel, to clearly proclaiming the truth. If it's not, even if we're talking about a, a humanitarian aid mission, I don't believe it's being faithful, because the whole point, Jesus' mission was to save the world, and if we're not telling the world that good news, it doesn't amount to much whatever we're doing. Well, the formal sending out of missionaries to do this work begins in our passage that we're going to look at today. If you have a Bible, and I think there's some in the pews in front of you, turn to the book of Acts towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament. Someone can shout out a page number for Acts chapter 13. Whoa. What was it, Anthony? 100. Oh, is it? Is it really? Page 100? I don't know. I think Anthony's having fun with us. Acts chapter 13, and uh, of course, we've been in this series, Uh, we we had that amazing passage that we looked at last week in Acts chapter 12, where Peter is miraculously rescued from prison in the middle of the night, that incredible uh, jailbreak, and he makes his way to the house of, of a believer, uh, the mother of John, also known as Mark, where those believers are gathered, and they're praying for him, right? They're praying God, that God would, would save him, and he shows up at the door, of course, and we know how the story goes. Uh, they have trouble believing it's him. They leave him in the cold. They finally let him in, and they rejoice in what God has done in, in delivering him from the prison cell. And so we pick up our story. Actually, the story begins, chapter 13 actually begins at chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, verse 25. We read this When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So we have that reference. It was John Mark's mom whose house the believers were gathered in praying. For Peter, that's, that's who they bring. So Barnabas and Saul returned from this mission. Do you remember what that mission was? In chapter 11, the church at Antioch had sent Barnabas and Saul to Jerusalem with a gift. A gift for famine relief. They had heard through a prophet that there was going to be a famine that was going to sweep the, that area. And so the, the disciples in Antioch, in that faithful church, they gathered money. They gathered resources, and they sent that money along with Barnabas and Saul to Jerusalem to deliver that gift. That's what this is referring to here. So basically, Luke is shifting from the story we saw last week in Jerusalem. Now he's setting his sights back on the church in Antioch, and that's where we're going to go today in this story. Back to Antioch, verse 1 of chapter 13, here's what we read. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers here they are Barnabas Simeon called Niger Lucius of Cyrene Manian who had been brought up with Herod the tetrarch and Saul Okay this is this is a really diverse group of church leaders here by the way Luke says that they were Luke the author says they were prophets and teachers Yet it seems here that they were functioning as, as elders, as overseers of the church. Perhaps before elders were appointed there, they had these prophets and teachers. Barnabas, do you remember Barnabas? His name means son of encouragement. We met him back in Acts chapter 4. We know he was very generous. He had this land that he sold, and he brought all of the money from the sale of that property, and he laid it at the apostles' feet, and he said, this is... This is for the church to be used. Do whatever you see fit with it. He was generous. He was an encourager. We've seen that. We're going to see it more. That was Barnabas. He was from Cyprus. And uh, then there was Simeon. Simeon called Niger. Niger, by the way, means dark or black, likely referring to his skin, the color of his skin. He was from Africa, most scholars believe. There was Lucius of Cyrene, that's in northern Africa, so we've got sort of this representation, different places, different countries. Then there was a guy named Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, remember all the Herods we talked about last week, There's a bunch of them. Herod the Tetrarch was also known as Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was a son of Herod the Great, famous for slaughtering all the babies as he was trying to hunt down Jesus after he'd been born. Uh, So this guy, Mannion, had been raised in the household of Herod the Great along with one of Herod's sons, Herod the Tetrarch. So this is interesting because this guy who had come to Christ, Mannion, he was Jewish, he was from that household, so therefore he was of the upper royal class Again, very, very unique mix of people. Then, of course, there was Saul, last but not least. Saul, of course, that Jew of Jews, the persecutor of the church, trying to destroy the church early on in Acts. But what happens on his way to Damascus? He meets Jesus. Jesus appears to him in that blinding light, and his life is changed. This persecutor of the church becomes the greatest proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, wow, what, what an interesting, diverse mix of people at this church in Antioch. And it was really an accurate reflection of the church itself. This was a diverse church. It was really the first international church in the world. Because people from all different nations and cultures were in Antioch and they all came together, many of them who heard the gospel and believed they joined the church. So it was this amazing picture of of multiculturalism and diversity in this church. Now, it's important to keep in mind that the main reason why the gospel spread from Jerusalem, where the church was started, was because of persecution. That is... Christians had been forced out through the persecution of Saul. But what we have here, all of that changes, because for the very first time, missionaries, people are going to be sent out purposefully. So before Christians were forced out, now they will be intentionally sent out. And here's how it happens. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, just want to pause for a second here. Let's not rush past this. This is really, really important. Who was it that started this this mission? Uh, yeah, I've got his name underlined there. The Holy Spirit. So, to be clear, this wasn't uh, a missions committee that got together and presented their findings on areas of need. This, this wasn't brought to a congregational vote. Should we send people? This was the Holy Spirit of God speaking to this church, starting something that had never been done before, at least not in this way. So keep that in mind. Missions start with the Holy Spirit, He, he was their strategy. They didn't look for a plan or a program or, or a, I've heard of these missions paradigms. I don't know what we're talking about there. They relied on a person, the person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. See, they clearly understood something, my friends, that I think we need to be constantly reminded of. And you know what that is? That apart from Christ, we can do nothing. I love that song we sang this morning, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Look at they understood what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Do we believe that? Because it seems like we try and do a lot of things, sometimes very much apart from him. They, they understood this. They understood that apart from Christ, they could do nothing, which, by the way, is why Jesus promised to send his Holy Spirit. You remember in John 14, Jesus said this. He said, I will ask the Father, God the Father, he will give you another counselor. Amazing word there. Another of the same kind as me is what that word another means. Jesus said, he will give you another counselor to help you and to be with you forever. His name, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit lives in followers of Jesus Christ. He lives in our bodies. Do you believe that? And then Jesus ties all of these strings together in Acts 1 where he explains how the disciples will be able to carry out the great commission. Do you remember this such an important verse Acts 1:8 but you will receive power promises Jesus the word power we've seen it means dynamite you will receive dynamite power when the holy spirit comes on you. Power to do what? Power to be my witnesses to witness to Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and indeed to the ends of the earth, which is what we're going to see happening now in Acts chapter 13. The disciples could do nothing until they were filled with the person and power of the Holy Spirit. My friends, the same is true for us right now. Missions are impossible without the Holy Spirit And the Great Commission is impossible without the Holy Spirit. By the way, whose work is it to build the church? It's not ours. It's Jesus. It's Jesus' church. This isn't our church. It's his. And he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Sending his Holy Spirit to live in and work through his disciples, that was Jesus' strategy for the Great Commission. He explained what it was going to look like, and then he explained how it was going to happen. And we've said that about the book of Acts, haven't we? The book of Acts is not about the acts of the apostles. It is the acts of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit working through the apostles and his followers, his disciples. That was God's plan. Wow. They got it. The church at Antioch understood it. Okay, let's get back there. They hear his voice. They hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, these believers in Antioch. That's what it says. While they were what? Worshiping the Lord and fasting. That, do you notice? That is when they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. When they were worshiping the Lord, that's where we get our word liturgy, that word worship, liturgeo. It refers to the, the worship of the Levites, the priests. And their worship, of course, was focused on sacrifice and prayer. Prayer. Prayer was central to their worship. Praying to the Lord, presenting him sacrifices in accordance with what his word specifies. So their worship, get this, their worship was all about God's word and prayer. That's what they were doing. That's what the believers at Antioch were doing. They were together worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. Fasting, you see, we pray casually sometimes, don't we? We're pretty casual in our approach to God. Fasting here indicates, this is a spiritual discipline, by the way, which refers to abstaining from food in order to focus on spiritual matters, specifically in in order to seek God's will in prayer. It's basically saying, you know what? God and his will and his word is more important to me right now than food, And that's what they were doing. They were worshiping the Lord fervently around his word in in fervent prayer. We know it because they were fasting. Prayer goes along with fasting. And you know, it's funny when we think of fasting, we think about it like, okay, I'm going to fast for a bit because I want an answer from God on something. It's because we want something usually. It's not that it's a wrong motive. But what's really interesting here is that they seem to be fasting for no other reason than they simply wanted to worship God and and to do what he wanted them to do and to be eager and ready to follow him wherever he would lead them. By the way, this wasn't just these five guys who were praying here. The implication is this was the whole church at Antioch coming together to worship the Lord and to fast. That is when they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think there's an important principle there. Um, In Jeremiah, we read these words, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sometimes, if we're being honest, we seek God with like half a heart or a quarter of our heart. Or because we've got nothing better to do or nowhere else to turn. I believe they were seeking God and his will with all their heart. In Luke 11, Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I believe that's what this church was doing. They were asking for the Holy Spirit's leading, prompting, inspiration. They were listening for his voice. And because they were, guess what? They heard. Here's what he said. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, we don't know how he spoke exactly. The implication here is there were prophets. Prophets who were able to discern God's word to receive and impart words from the Lord. The idea here is probably these prophets received this message, the the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, which they shared. The point is, it was through fasting and fervent prayer, through worship, that they heard the Spirit say, Set apart for me. That word set apart means to mark off with boundaries, to be separated for a purpose separated, by the way, from something else, from other things. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be separate from this world, aren't we? In the world, but not of it. Holy, that's what that word means, set apart. But Barnabas and Saul here are set apart by the Holy Spirit for specific work that he was calling them to do. So the Holy Spirit starts missions, my friends, and then the Holy Spirit sets apart people for missions, That's what we see here. He's the one who determines who's going to be sent. And then notice what happens after the Holy Spirit speaks. What does the church do? They continue to fast and pray some more. It's awesome. Both to affirm the Spirit's calling and to officially commission Paul and Barnabas to the Lord's work by placing their hands on them and then sending them off. So... In case you've missed it, the point here is the actions of this church were immersed in prayer, prayer which meant absolute dependence and reliance upon the Holy Spirit of God. They would seek him with all of their hearts. And then uh, we come to this verse four. It says this, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Okay. So, we got Paul, rather, sorry, he's still called Saul at this point. We're going to see the name change in a, in a few minutes. But at this point, Saul and Barnabas, set apart by the Holy Spirit, are now sent on their way by the church. And then the two of them, they go down to Seleucia, which we're going to take a look at on a map here. You can see that right up here. I'm not good with the pointer, but... There it is, Seleucia. So Antioch down to Seleucia. Looks like a pretty short journey based on that. But uh, what's interesting here is we're not told how they got there or how they knew where to go. This is really kind of fascinating to me. Now, you'll notice um, Seleucia. Okay, so that's where they're... Getting on a boat and sailing west to Cyprus. By the way, it's where Barnabas was from. And uh, but the funny thing here is they were sent on their way. Now, verse three says they were sent off by the church. But then verse four here, and I got to go back to it. It says the two of them were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. So here's the question: Who sent them? Was it the church? Or was it the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. It was the church because the Holy Spirit sent them. But what's really neat is the language here. In verse 3, it says the church sent them off. Here it says the two of them were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And that's literally translated sent forth on their way. So if you're tracking, the church sent them off. The Holy Spirit sent them forth, which is really, really neat, because how did they know where to go? They were following the Holy Spirit's leading. Where does the Holy Spirit live? In our bodies. We all said we believe that. He's with us. He's in us. He leads us. He guides us. He does a whole lot of things, and that's definitely one of them. The implication here is this. He didn't just send them forth. He went along with them. Paul would later write to the Galatians, you must walk by the Spirit. You must keep in step with the Holy Spirit. That's what he was doing here. They were walking by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the best GPS there is. And I don't mean global positioning system. I mean God's positioning Spirit. He puts us where we need to be. He directs us where we need to go. And that's how they got to Seleucia. They followed his leading. He guided their steps. He made their way clear. Wow, what a gift to be led by the Holy Spirit. Then we come to verse five. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. Okay, so... By the way, Jesus made very clear that the apostles would be his witnesses to the Jews first, right? That's what he said. In Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, to the ends of the earth after that. And so that model really became Saul's approach to evangelism. He would start in the Jewish synagogues. Whenever they would arrive in a new place, Paul would head to the Jewish synagogue. Why? Because the Jews believed in Scripture, they believed in God's word, and Jesus had said, You will proclaim this good news to the Jews first, and that's what Saul did. Now, the only problem for them is that they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's what Saul was there to prove and to show them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that's that's became his pattern. That's what he did. He would get to a city and he would go to the Jewish synagogues and proclaim the gospel. And by the way, he would proclaim it boldly because as we know, he was not ashamed of the gospel. He knew that it was the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And so from Salamis, and we can see it on a map here. I just want to show you. So Salamis, again, we're over here now. So they've made their way from Seleucia to Salamis. That's where, that was the port city there. And the idea is that they basically, they start there and they cover this entire island, going from town to town, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, being led by the Holy Spirit every step of the way. So to take it back here, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, which, again, is on the other side. So they have made their way f- across the entire island at this point. Uh, is that... Oops, I'm pressing the wrong button for that. Sorry, guys. Um, there, this button. So Salamis to Paphos, all the way across, like a 100-kilometer journey, right? They have traveled all over the place. They get to the opposite end of the island now in, in verse 6 here. Um, they traveled the whole island until they came to Paphos. Okay. Paphos, by the way, was, was the capital of, of Cyprus. It was the seat of the Roman government. And we're going to meet uh, a really important leader here now. Uh, so they arrive in Paphos and there they met, there it is, there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Oh man, it's a weird name. Bar-Jesus. There's a lot of jokes there. I'm not going to touch them, uh, but I'm going to say this. Bar Jesus, it means son of the Savior. Okay? Uh, he was a false prophet, and Jewish sorcerer. Sorcerer, perhaps in your Bible, can be translated magician, but not the kind of magician that shows you what your card is or pulls rabbits out of hats. He was involved in dark arts, sorcery. Evil spirits. This was his business uh, omens and divination. And so he was not a good guy. He was an occult leader, is what he was. And he was also an advisor to a very important man. He was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And Sergius Paulus, we're told, was a very intelligent man. Sergius Paulus was the Roman governor of Cyprus, which means he wasn't just powerful, he was powerful, and and he was wealthy, he had great influence, and intelligence, apparently. So if you're like me, you're asking, well, if he's so smart, if he's so intelligent, why did he trust and consult this Jewish sorcerer? Well, because Romans had a very high regard for the supernatural, for omens, specifically in divination. But they also believed that the Jews were more attuned to spiritual matters, which probably made this guy, Bar Jesus, a very popular prophet in the region. Well, he might have claimed to know the way of salvation, this Bar Jesus, and was obviously advising Sergius Paulus, but he was only feeding him lies. And we're going to see that Sergius Paulus, the the Roman governor, was hungry for the truth. We know he was seeking and that he had heard about the preaching ministry of Barnabas and Saul, which is why he sent for them. And at the end of verse 7 there, it says the proconsul sent for Barnabas and Saul. Why? Because he wanted to hear the word of God. This is incredible. I, I was thinking about this personally. If someone wanted to hear the word of God... Would they be able to call you up to explain it to them? Because that was, that was Barnabas and Saul's reputation. This guy knew that if he got in contact with these guys and they came to him, he would hear the word of God. He would hear the gospel explained. To me, it's a personal challenge that we are called to do the same thing. To be ready to share the reason for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. To explain what God's word says about him. To point people to the truth of the gospel. To share it from our hearts. And so that's what he wanted. This guy, Sergius Paulus, he wanted to hear God's word. And so he calls up Barnabas and Saul. Um, Now, by the way, I think it's important to just note where someone and where people are, are desperate and hungry for the truth... There will always be opposition, spiritual opposition. We're in a spiritual battle. And so the fact that he is hungry, the fact that he is searching and seeking, we know that Satan's going to be working overtime to shut the door to the gospel, to distract him, to feed him lies. And that's exactly what he uses Bar Jesus to do. Verse 8 But Elymas, by the way, also, that's what the name Bar-Jesus means. Elymas, the sorcerer, opposed them. Okay, he opposed Barnabas and Saul and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Okay, here it is. This is spiritual battle in motion here. Now, we're not told exactly what he did to oppose Barnabas and Saul, but clearly he was threatened by them and the truth of the gospel they proclaimed. They likely were a threat to his business. He had a profitable business going on. People came to him. And so he opposes them. Now, uh, we come to verse 9. And this is, gets a little, little shocking here. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Okay, here's the name change. I remember thinking as a kid, did, did that name change happen on the road to Damascus when, when Jesus saved Saul? Saul? And Saul, which I'm told means great and big, and, G- and Paul means small. And, and so Jesus said, you shall now be Paul, you small. No, Paul is his Roman name. And because his, his mission and his ministry was largely in Greco-Roman territory, it only made sense for them to call him Paul as he would be known wherever he was. And so that's pretty much why we have the name change here. And what's interesting, from this point forward, Luke will now call him Paul. He will not refer to Saul. He calls him Paul. And he mentions his name first or alone. Meaning Saul, or Saul who became Paul, became the leader of this little group. It was no longer Barnabas and Saul. It was Paul and Barnabas. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, who was also called, sorry, the, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, second mention of the Holy Spirit in this short passage We saw it earlier when the Holy Spirit called and set apart these two. And now Saul, the second time, actually, this is the third time. This is the third time we see the Holy Spirit mentioned. Then the Holy Spirit, of course, he set them apart. Then he sent them forth. And now he filled Paul with himself. Here's what happened. He looked straight at Elemas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is Right? Talk about speaking the truth boldly here. Wow, he calls him. He calls him out. You're a child of the devil. You're not just evil. You're a child of Satan is what he's saying here. And an enemy of everything that is right, an enemy of righteousness, it can be translated. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Notice the juxtaposition. We got Paul full of the Holy Spirit. This guy, Bar Jesus, son of the Savior, anything but that, he is full of deceit and trickery being used of the enemy. And he says, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, did that. It was the Holy Spirit speaking and leading and working through Paul to be able to pronounce these words of rebuke. But it goes beyond that. There's words of judgment here. He says this, now the hand of the Lord is against you. Okay, still talking to, to Bar Jesus. You are gonna be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Then immediately a mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Wow. Okay. This is, uh, this is pretty, pretty radical here. Now, it, you might be thinking, okay, this is kind of harsh. Um, and don't think that. <laughs> because remember, remember Jesus' sobering warning against anyone who would hinder or prevent a little child from coming to him? Do you remember? He said it would be better that they have a millstone tied around their neck and they'd be thrown to the depths of the sea than someone lead someone else, especially a little child, away from the faith. Those are harsh words of judgment. But that's exactly what this sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, was trying to do to Sergius Paulus. My friends, eternal life is a serious business. His soul was hanging in the balance, this guy, Sergius Paulus, and he wanted the truth. And so Paul out of deep love and compassion, wanted him to believe. And so the Holy Spirit empowered Paul to pronounce this curse, which immediately strikes Bar-Jesus blind. By the way, how ironic he's, he's working, dabbling in darkness. He becomes physically blind. Literally, literal darkness descends upon him. So God's judgment here is a foretaste of what will happen to everyone who fails to surrender in faith to Jesus Christ, to bow their knee to him as Lord. They will be thrown into utter darkness. Jesus promised that in Matthew 8. But thankfully, this is not the case for Sergius Paulus, this Roman governor. I love verse 12. When the proconsul saw what had happened, okay, so he sees all of a sudden this, his personal prophet, he sees him go blind, and now he's groping in the darkness. What happened? He believed He believed in Jesus Christ. He believed the gospel. Why? For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Notice he wasn't amazed at the miracle. He wasn't amazed that Bar-Jesus was now blind. He was amazed at the teaching about the Lord, Jesus Christ. The power that caused this to happen. Jesus working through the Holy Spirit at work in Paul and through Paul, pronouncing these words. Wow, praise God. Okay, my friends, I just want to tie this together because I know you're thinking pancakes. Um, my friends, may this story teach us to trust completely in the incredible power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. I've said this many times in this series, but the Holy Spirit of God runs along the tracks of God's Word, if you think about it in terms of a locomotive and a train on tracks. God's Word, that is what was amazing to the proconsul, because the Holy Spirit was speaking through God's Word, doing amazing things, yes, but ultimately to bring Him to salvation in Jesus Christ. The Word of God is alive and active. And that's what cut him. It was the Holy Spirit applying the word of God to his heart that caused him to believe. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We can't save people. But we can share the truth. And we, I think we need to speak it boldly like Paul did. I'm not saying we pronounce curses on people. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be led along the tracks of God's word to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our calling. My friends, that is your mission. That is my mission. That is our mission as a church. It's the Great Commission. And God has given us everything that we need to be able to do that. He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us in that process. I'm just going to share this very sobering quote because uh, I think it's, it's very fitting. A.W. Tozer, many years ago, before he passed away, great preacher and theologian, he said this. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, and this was back then, of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, like the church at Antioch, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. The church at Antioch and Paul and Barnabas, whom they sent, depended entirely upon the Holy Spirit. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. My friends, may the same be said of us. I follow the Charles Spurgeon devotional. Love that devotional morning and evening. It's really interesting. Monday morning, I'm preparing this message. And Monday morning, I received the the message for Monday evening, that devotional for Monday evening. And I don't have it actually on the PowerPoint. I'm going to read it to you. Here's what it said. Common, too common, is the sin of forgetting the Holy Spirit. Let us revere his person and adore him as God over all, blessed forever. Let us own his power and our need of him by waiting upon him in all of our enterprises. Let us hourly seek his help and never grieve him. And let us speak his praise whenever occasion occurs. The church will never prosper until it more reverently believes in and relies upon the Holy Spirit. Dear church, let us not forget the Holy Spirit, because human-sized efforts produce human-sized results, and that is not what God has called us to do. As followers of Jesus, he has called us by the power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples who become mature and productive Christians. That's a supernatural thing, not a natural thing. God, forgive us for trying to to go about doing your will naturally when it can only be accomplished supernaturally by the power of your spirit. I'm going to close with this Puritan prayer from the Valley of Vision as the team comes up here. I just ask you to join with me in prayer. Oh, Holy Spirit, as the sun is full of light, As the ocean is full of water, as heaven is full of glory, may our hearts be full of you. Vain are all divine purposes of love and the redemption brought by Jesus except that you work within us, regenerating us by your power, giving us eyes to see Jesus, and showing us the realities of the unseen world. Forgive us for failing to follow your leading. Forgive us for resisting you and grieving you. Forgive us for our coldness, our casualness, our emptiness, our imperfect vision, our weak faith, our slow service, our prayerless prayers, and our praiseless praises. Fill us afresh without measure as a flowing fountain, as inexhaustible riches. Come as power to cast out every lust and to reign supreme in us. Come as our teacher, leading us into all the truth, filling us with understanding. Come as love that we would adore the Father and love him with our whole hearts. Come as joy, dwell in us, mold us and move us. Come as light, illuminating the scriptures and conforming us to it. Come as sanctifier of our bodies, souls, and spirits. Come as our helper with strength to bless and keep us, directing our every step and empowering our witness for Jesus Christ. Come as beautifier, bringing order out of confusion, loveliness out of chaos. We magnify you by magnifying through us, Lord, we we pray that in everything we think and say and do, you would receive the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: And as we uh, respond, we'll ask if you're able to please stand with us as we sing.
1: food to the Lord in prayer and uh, then dismiss you with a benediction. So let's just join our hearts in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this privilege to be together, to sing your praises, to sing of your amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Father, thank you for the gift of faith to believe in you. And Lord, I just pray that you would have your way as we go from this place, that we would remember we never go alone. Your Holy Spirit lives in each one of us who has repented and believed in Jesus Christ. So may we walk by your Spirit and do what you would have us do for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, bless this food to our bodies. Give us health and strength through it. Thank you for those who prepared these pancakes. And again, we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, receive the Lord's blessing and then go get pancakes. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Lord, bless you.